0: Hello, everybody. Hello and welcome to Dungeon Master Discussions. I, as always, am your host, Zach the DM. It's very good to see you all. You're all looking very wonderful this evening. Is that a smile? Looking good. I am joined here on Dungeon Master Discussions with my friend, the Bandit King UK. And today we are discussing horror and villains inside Dungeons and Dragons. Welcome, um, bandits. Uh, Just if anyone doesn't know about yourself.
1: Uh, would you like to tell them a little bit? Okay, um, hello, I'm the Bandit King UK, most people just call me Bandit. I'm a British a D&D Twitch streamer and a writer for Commie Gamer. I've written for some other websites, but that's kind of what I do, and I do a lot about horror and villains in particular, hence probably why we're talking about horror and villains, really. Yeah, you jumped on the topic of
0: horror and villains right away, which I was very interested in because you say that you do it a lot. Yeah, so, sorry. <laughs> what do you uh what do you find your why do you like horror so much?
1: I think it is horror in general is it's one of the most primal things because this sort of Emotions have been around for as long as humanly possible, but fear has always been a connected medium, and fear makes us advance. Yeah, and like for example, the best way you can look at it, um, fear of like the enemy in World War Two made us up our military technology. Fear of cybercrime introduced more stricter security measures, and it is simple little things like that. But then, fear is definitely symptomatic of the time. So as Times evolve. It's always interesting to explore new fears, and especially when older ones are revisited, it adds a lot of new things to it. And horror is something that's always done that really well. Obviously, sometimes better than others, but horror is just—it's <laughs> such a nerdy topic to talk about. But I absolutely love talking about horror.
0: It's you—you you, no, you—you're really right because like horror really does shape a lot of how us as humans react and do things. Like we're very emotional creatures and fear is a big one.
1: It's probably the most, most primal emotion that we have outside of um, like our natural instincts. Yeah. like Fear is one of the theories why kids don't eat vegetables because they don't know plants and it's like bred into us as humans. Don't eat strange plants because we might die. It's a prevalent theory and honestly I think there's a lot of truth to it.
0: That would make um, a lot
1: more sense. It's yeah, it's it's just interesting to talk about horror, especially how horror looks through the ages and what different aspects of horror represent. I like
0: that. So you you try and use it almost as a tool, because it seems like you focus on what it can do to history and what it can affect, how it can affect the
1: world. Yeah, because uh, I think. If you treat D&D as, although it obviously isn't, if you treat D&D as an extension of our world, to an extent because it's fantasy, the same principles of fear would apply. Obviously, you can do it in fantastical means because, obviously, liches and dragons aren't real, right? But um, when you look at it, at the perspective of in D&D, it's just the same fear put into a different shape. So if you do it like that, treat it as an extension, it makes a lot more sense, and it can be useful, really, that way. Because, I don't know, people generally, as bizarre as it sounds, people like to be scared. And
0: yeah.
1: I like scaring people, so... <laughs> okay, it works from
0: very hand-in-hand. Hand. So it's you just... said you can use it as an extension. How, how do you personally use an extension, And if you have an example possibly? Well... um,
1: the best example I can have is for my first ever campaign I did, it's called the Crystal Kingdom. And um so I got together a group of players. I said it was gonna be a horror campaign, there's gonna be lots of body horror stuff because body horror is the easiest to represent in D D. Because all it's all just descriptions of what's happened to someone. But the when I was setting up the world, I literally looked at history to do it. I based the, the, I based like the land of the Crystal Kingdom on the Native Americans and the Pilgrims coming from Europe, and now the Native Americans in my world were the giants, and the Pilgrims were the gnomes, and I lit it literally paralleled it because I thought I didn't do it intentionally at first, but when I first sort of like putting little pieces together, I thought that makes a lot more sense, and I don't I've read up a bit of history about it. And it's one of those things where you, if you treat it as an extension like that, so you say, "I'm just re, I'm retelling a tale, yeah, of history, mm-hmm. which people still talk about." And I've put it into a fantastical setting; it's a little bit more interesting. Also, Loki, a little bit funny that gnomes are beating up giants, right? Yeah, but like, I like the, that. the 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 gnomes like. Um, it's like slaughtered most of the giants. After centuries, they apologized, gave the giants their own land, have an annual celebration of their friendship with the giants, and it's like yeah, there's a lot of parallels here. I even yeah. used a Thanksgiving map battle map for the festival when I did that. <laughs> but
0: I because uh, a lot of the like. Exactly what you're saying there. You can use real life examples of horror to really. Sh- it, it makes it a lot more believable because since we've seen it in the past, it's uh, it's almost a acceptable reaction, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. So you can see people going along with it. you can see why they might do it. And you can really use it to kind of bring your players in and they can almost if they, it's um. Do you think it's better if they do see the parallels with the real life, or if they think it's almost completely like they don't realize that it's a real life connection?
1: I think there's an argument to be made for both. There because is. If you look at it on the fact that they can see the parallels, it might mean that they met. Well, you know, it as bizarre as it sounds. They might learn something. Yeah. About like this actually happened, but with. Native Americans and European folk, and if they don't know anything, it means they can't predict what's going to happen. I think I would prefer it if they didn't realize it first, but at the same time, it's like if they are good at role playing, they probably won't act it out anywhere. Yeah, I'd say their character will play dumb.
0: Yeah, no, and those are that's pretty well both the best pros of both because I would say. If you're trying to teach them a lesson, you can connect it. Because, like you were saying, they're going to kind of expect an ending. Or a, a, a series of events to happen. Kind of like the real-life parallel. Yeah. Um, but if they keep it disconnected, then it's a whole different story. that They learned a lesson from that's not the
1: parallel. It's, uh, it's certainly interesting. And, of course, like I do project my own fears into D&D. Because what scares me probably will scare other people, like I have a healthy fear of water, like mm-hmm. I say healthy, unhealthy fear of water, like not like <laughs> not drinking water or like the or the shower or swimming pools, or whatever, but like the ocean, the sea, the river yeah. it's because I watch jaws of the three year old because you know Hey! it's pump <laughs> nice for that, same here, um yeah. My first one, my first literal experience of horror was yours, and I'm not even scared of sharks. I'm just scared of the water, and yeah, that's kind of my sitch. And so okay. I like. I want to tell horror. you a
0: quick story, which I think it relates to what you're saying. Um, so you use kind of your own experiences of horror, mm-hmm. um. Have you ever just described... Have you ever, like, remembered back to a time when you were terrified and just described the emotions you were feeling? Uh, yeah. There was one terrible time when I was swimming, and I had the same thing with water and deep water, and I went to step down, and there was nothing underneath me, and I really expected there to be sand underneath me, so I went under the water, and as soon as I came up, I was like, I'm dead, I'm dead. I'm dead I just had my heart racing like there was just like all the hope in my entire body had like left in just a snap second and I just almost like waited water waiting to to die rather than moving and I was like wow this is a freeze response <laughs>
1: <laughs> terrifying oh wow yeah I could well I'd imagine that'd be terrifying so I describe
0: was, the, that exact emotion to a lot of players. Is like you're you feel like you need to move, but you can't move. You're just waiting there. you you're, the hope for life is lost, and it's very interesting to see how different players role play that.
1: Yeah, it's it's especially interesting when also sort if of players are a little bit scared of it as well. They have their own little fear of it, and it's one of the reasons I also like using. Uh, plants and stuff like that as enemies because people are still scared of plants and what they do, because most people don't know a lot about them.
0: Yeah. We can kind of understand how to kill most mammals or fish or birds. You kind of just get rid of the head. Pretty well it. But a plant? Quite sure. Do I have to get rid of all the roots? Is there like a brainstem area? Yeah,
1: it's... And it's uh, in the Crystal Kingdom campaign, like the main story wasn't regarding the natives or anything, but um, that was just some subtext to the world. And uh, the main villain was a druid because I like using druids as villains because they can use plants, and if you invent a concept of what they do with plants, like I made up um. That these people used plants to reanimate corpses, and I called it was the forgotten magic of doing that from like ancient times, and it was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Let's do that. That's uh, because it just adds abject horror of the fact that like you don't know what plants can do. This is the power that plants in this world have.
0: It sounds like you've looked up like some psychological things that just scare humans. <laughs> sounds like it sounds like you're like if you if you just say that there's salt on the ground, people will freak out. Why? Study done, nineteen eighty.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it I, I, I didn't actually look at it and I actually avoid putting spiders in my campaigns, in my stories, because Well it, I want people to be scared, but I don't want them to be uncomfortable because that just ruins the experience. And it's why I always ask when i I've always asked players if I'm doing something where there's heavy horror themes, do you have any serious phobias that you don't want me to touch and like you
0: mentioned a safety sheet before we just started. Did you want to tell people about that?
1: Yeah, so I was watching lazy Cato's stream prior to us being here. I'm not yeah, and she talked about safety sheet and I thought, I should probably get one of those, so I'm getting one of her.
0: (laughs) No, I I definitely use one of those in my Session Zeros. It's just a quick little sheet with a bunch of things. I'll be honest, every time I get sent one, I'm just like, I just message back, like, it's good. It's good, everything. Which I I think is a fine response.
1: But it's nice to get one filled back every so often. I think it's necessary to do, especially. Like, when you're Say, it, like, I'm, if I'm doing horror stuff, I want people to ha- to be scared, yeah, because th- that's the point of horror, right? Mm-hmm. I just I don't want people to be uncomfortable. Because if I bring spiders into a campaign, literally the most common phobia in the world, outside of like death, obviously, yeah, I know quite a few people are not gonna like it, so I don't, yeah. But, so, you feel like there are
0: some shots that are too cheap.
1: Yeah, I mean, as much as I like the um, the fears spiders that were brought in, I think in I think it was in Volos they were brought in, or maybe or, was it Volos? Sure, myself. I'm confused now. I'm scared. Anyway, the dim- the dimension hopping ones, yeah, where they spin webs through dimensions. I thought. Bee spiders. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I thought if I was ever gonna be doing spiders in a campaign, I'd do those. I wouldn't make them spiders, but I'd do that kind of thing because that'd be a most interesting way to do it. I thought that'd be super cool because it's just it's because it takes the if you if you remove the spider aspect of it, you know what I mean. It sort of shifts it to general scary stuff and danger and of being thrown into the abyss. Yeah, that kind of thing is what I'd like if I was to do spiders. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so so you, you, when you're preparing your sessions you obviously have the fears and stuff that you, you, the players don't want you to delve into how do you figure out what themes and what things you should use to scare your players what should you use how do you figure that out it's,
1: honestly it's not too easy because with horror and obviously it depends on your style as a DM Mm-hmm. I know people who note every single interaction down to the letter and the dots on the eyes. And I know people who do mostly freestyle stuff. And I lean to more freestyle. I have some notes about where I want to, things to happen. And then I just base every other interaction off the players. Now, when I did the Crystal Kingdom, uh, there was a lot of differences. So I made the horror out coming out of like, not being able to deal with it because there was one of the characters called Muldoon who was a homeless orc, and he was a former guard that had been disgraced for whatever reason, and he is an NPC and became a friend of one of the PCs, and I had the I had the pure body horror aspect of plants bursting out of his chest, yep. and that's what caused one of my players to get really upset, and it was body horror. And I've done body horrors of mutations mm-hmm. where like people have been fused with animals to be sold as like soldiers, yeah, and i do and I did body horror like that, however, the best thing I did with horror was when I did uh the the one shot I believe i called it i believe I called it a night in the woods, but mm-hmm. well, I went through about six different titles <laughs> um, but um it was based in, it was in, really inspired by Blair Witch. And people asked me for my notes on it. I'm like, I couldn't do any notes on this because I was fully responding to players. I had, this is the setting. This is the first set of interactions you're going to have. Everything else, I'm responding entirely to players because I need to work off them to make them paranoid and to make them scared and to make them not trust each other. And I'm not saying that's the right way to go about it, and not the right, and I, it's probably not the best way I could have done it, mm-hmm. but that's the way I felt comfortable because people were seeing things like say, ah, oh, this person saw a bird with a red tail, and then this other one says, you see them talking to the air, even if like they say not twenty, the perception check, this is them talking to the air, or they're talking to a shadowy figure instead, and it just it was so in distrust between people. And I think that's probably the most example of horror where I've really fleshed out my horror stuff.
0: I I find for sure right there what you're saying is sowing distrust is very important because when your party has each other to rely on and they're all together in this and it's all going to be okay, it's hard to scare them. But if they feel a little bit alone, like they got like two or three members they trust, but there's this like sketchy dude, or if like two of the players are a little bit like... They do their thing. I do my thing. Or if there's distrust, where you're like, I can't trust anyone here, and now I also can't trust anything around me. Fuck. There, <laughs> it it puts them in a much more dire
1: situation. Yeah. Like the when I first started plotting this one shot, the thing I thought about was if I'd made Among Us a D and D session, where you know, going in knowing that one person or two people are traitors. And that's going to, like, make you suspect everyone. Mm-hmm. But then I thought, hang on a minute, right? Blair Witch does it where, obviously it did it with because the directors were messing with the actors all the time. But I thought, if I somehow do that, but with players, so mm-hmm. the DM being the director, the players being the actors, if I somehow do Blair Witch like that, it'd be more interesting. And that's how I came about with the Night in the Woods one. I just thought I'd do a Blair Witch because it just you constantly have to try and build up anticipation because that's where the horror lies in everything. Horror is anticipation because mm. the it, cause that, that is objectively worse than what happens. Like the payoff can be scary, but the anticipation is what gets you. It's like why jump scares work sometimes because I'm going to bring up Five Nights at Freddy's here because it does it really well. Yeah. Um. When the lights go out, you know the animatronics are going to jump out at you, but it's always just after or just before you expect it to, and the, it's the jump that's to get you, if you know what I mean. Yep. So you're trying to build up anticipation for what's going to happen, even if it doesn't happen. If it like, doesn't happen, it makes it worse.
0: If you see something slowly coming at you, you're like, what is that? Why, why is it coming at me? What's going on? Yeah. Why is it getting faster? Why is it getting faster? Why is it getting bigger? Why is it getting bigger? Like This might be the only reaction, but you, you've just anticipated it for so long that if I just go, you're looking
1: at it, you're looking at it, you're looking at it, jump! Yeah, and that's kind of how horror works. The anticipation is what gets you. Because it's, the same with, it's the same with general excitement, actually, because sometimes waiting to enjoy something is better than actually enjoying it. Yeah,
0: it's like that when you're like next in line at the water slide, like like that feeling is nearly just as good as going down. It's like, yes, yes,
1: yes I'm so, so excited. And then when you go down and it's like, yeah, and then you get to the bottom and it's like, that was awesome. Well, now I'm sad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Roller coaster of emotions as human existence is. A
1: literal water slide of emotions if we're going on that road. <laughs> <laughs> How how do you
0: find so tension is the most important part and like just just or um anticipation as you said it, mm-hmm. uh just kind of keeping them following and waiting for something to happen. How do you kind of build that up? How do you get that or before we build it up? How do you even get that started for them? How do you make there
1: even be anticipation? Oh, well, um, okay, so the Blair Witch campaign I'm going to use again as the example, yeah. um. The players came in, they, was, they were all summoned to the village. And none of them really know why they were summoned to the village. They got notes, and they got their own notes, each with their own objectives. And they got told, turn up to the village and explain what's happened. And I, and I said that people were just going missing in the woods for whatever reason, just getting out and leaving their homes and walking out. and mm. So, obviously, something weird's going on. So, so you're, already, you're starting it right in the premise
0: of the campaign. The mysterious village. Everyone has their own
1: incentives. Yeah, the wise. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and it's sort of like the Elder, who's <laughs> one of my recurring characters called Old Sebastian. Oh, I'll say it right. My name is Old Sebastian as always, a tradition of anyone who's seen my campaigns know that old Sebastian's always there. Um fills any role I ask him to. And um <laughs> he, what a good chap. What a guy. He um and he explains to the party that he's the leader. And he's uh this is what's been happening. And the, so, like, one of the party knows that there's ancient artifacts here that hold mystical power. They need to steal it. One of them knows, oh, this guy's not to be trusted. He's a bit of a dictator. I need to help people escape. One of them know, One of them knows, oh, the woods need to be protected at all costs because you know we can't have nature being destroyed as much as it already is. Yeah. And the and the last one knows. There's legends of ancient cultures in this woods. If I find any evidence, I have to preserve it.
0: Hmm.
1: And no one knows each other's objectives. Yeah. So, like, when they are making these acts to further their objectives, it looks suspect. And they know as well, on the first night, it is revealed to them, one of you is lying. One of you is dishonest. And so the anticipation of who it actually is. And the fun fact, the players didn't even know who was evil.
0: Oh my god, no lie. One time I did that to a group where I had like just this like, like tree just come up and say, one of you is dishonest. And the joke was that he was
1: the dishonest one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. But, but if, like, I find that if you introduce that something is weird straight away, and you start slowly having increasingly creepy things happen, just slowly. Never... If you go all out, it sort of ruins the vibe. You have to kind of build it up and build it up, and then, oh, drop it down, it's rational, and then build it up again, and then drop it down again. And you constantly do it, never showing what the actual villain is. By dropping it down, what do you mean yourself? Um, You think, oh, no, that's rational. We can explain that away.
0: Ah, okay. Something that might seem creepy. Might just be something normal. the The creaking sound is just the house resting.
1: Yeah, the, uh, I, I call it the <laughs> I call it the haunted house effect, right? So, uh, you go into a house that's supposedly haunted. You know, going in, that there's supposedly ghosts there, right? Um, so you go in and you hear stuff going about upstairs, and so you think that's really weird. That's really yeah. weird. Ghosts. You hear something go creak, or you hear something slam and think, that's definitely ghosts. And then you see, walk into a room, you see, oh, there's a window open. Oh, that explains the door thing. That's fine. And you say, oh, this house is open to a few people. There might be another two are going on upstairs. And then you just slowly, consistently try and build it up so, oh, plot twist, it was actually ghosts. And the world is coming to an end.
0: <laughs> I really like how you describe it like this, because it really is how it is. You kind of come in on one like all these different things, I kind of like to me they they're they're layers of tension. So like you come in, it's a mysterious place that's one layer of tension. That's all they get to begin the campaign. And then you give them their secrets, another layer of tension. So they come in, and then they they meet this mysterious man, another layer of tension. And then the door slams, another layer of tension. But then you can explain that one away. So it's like maybe the old man's cool, too because the window was, or the door slam was cool, but then you you see the one day, you see the old man, like,
1: floating, and you're like,
0: maybe, maybe, I don't think it can be explained away, but you're like, but three other things were
1: explained away, so maybe. Yeah, it's, you know, the whole, you need to apply Occam's razor. Like, the simplest explanation is probably the right one. It's like, that, that door slamming most likely is not a ghost. I mean, I could say definitively it's not a ghost. I don't care what you say. (laughs) I could say definitively it's not. But that's the kind of thing. You know what I mean? That's the kind of thing you got to look at.
0: So you almost first have them question the
1: situation, question each other, and then question themselves. Yeah, you have to keep them... Because if you give answers in horror, it doesn't work. Yeah. The, The reason that things the reason that people like authors like lovecraft especially were so good at the horror stuff is because you couldn't quantify what you were seeing once yep. you give something a face an identity or a shape it kind of just loses the scare because yep. you you can rationalize it in your brain and think right this this i don't know michael myers prime example right yep. so obviously when you Just see the shapes moving around. You don't know what it is, and that's scary. Like I wrote a little short horror story a while ago based on that premise. Like you don't know what it is, but you know that it's there. Yeah, and that's the scary part of it. And then when you see him, you think it's a dude in a mask. Obviously, he's still scary because you know he's strong as strong as out coming at you with a knife. Yeah, but um, then the the fear of I don't know what that is disappears because you can quantify it and you think it's a it's just a guy. I can theoretically deal with that. Yeah. If it's a monster I can kill it. Yeah, but if it's you don't know what it is, you don't know how to defeat it. It's why it's why a lot of survival horrors lose edge when you have guns, because guns are arguably the most powerful weapon that's are that's available to the common public in yeah. well, not in the UK obviously, but Yeah, not much here either. (laughs) But yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of what it is, because if you have means to fight something, it's less less scary.
0: Yeah. And I like that. I like how you you definitely get everyone questioning every aspect of the campaign there, even themselves and their own decision making and the people around them is not left safe
1: yeah well, it it's kind of how I design villains in the same way
0: cuz I try I, and I definitely want to talk to you about your villains but you said one thing that I really liked was when you're coming into this horror campaign you gave everyone their own objectives hmm. and their own kind of motives and I thought that was a great way to kind of start a horror campaign cuz right away I normally give secrets and I'll do this I'm gonna ruin a secret here. Uh, Anyways, here's the curtains. Um, Spoiler alert, everyone. Spoiler alert. I'm like, all right, guys, I need to talk to everyone one at a time in private chat. And then I'm like, I pull them down and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna give you a secret. You're the only one that's gonna get the secret, okay? Everyone else, you know how I pulled them down? I was just wasting time. And then I'll usually give them like some, like, here's your adventuring pack, here's 100 gold pieces uh here's uh this and i'll be like that's what i gave everyone else and then we just wasted time to make it look real but i'm gonna give you the secret because you're special and then i'll so, give okay. them some kind of secret but then i'll do that with everybody
1: yeah i love that they're like hey I you're the
0: special one that gets the secret Ugh, now they're all gonna know
1: <laughs> well well the thing is i love that and i hope you don't mind me borrowing that if i ever do something like this in the future My idea is copyright-free. My brain is copyright-free. I said, I did, for the horror campaign, I let everyone know that they've all got their own motives, but they don't know what each other's motives are. So that's a little... It's a little bit different. And I think your way was definitely more impactful than my way. Definitely, like,
0: some players do realize they're all getting secrets. They're they're not completely (laughs) done. Um,
1: it It plays into the tricky DM more, which is... I kinda like being the tricky DM Don't it's... trust me. <laughs> don't, don't trust the DM. It's like it's always my favorite as well. It's like when someone says you could have done this, that, and the other said, stop giving the DM ideas. <laughs> don't do that because they will do that.
0: Oh yeah. The the there have been times <laughs> where like they've like captured random NPCs because they've been nah, who knows, an encounter they get attacked, they capture somebody and they're like, wait. <laughs> Is this connected to the NPC that we got attacked by 32 sessions ago back in the other continent? Yes. Yes, it is. Great idea. Thanks.
1: <laughs> takes note. <laughs> what? Yeah, it is. Any players yeah, listening, it's dangerous to give DMs IDs because they will run with them.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'll monkey paw them sometimes. I'll be like, yeah, it is. But not for a good reason like you think it is. Or not for a bad reason like you think it is.
1: Yeah. It's um it is quite interesting doing it like that. And I, that's what I love doing. Just messing with the play- I love like obviously having a serious campaign, but I love messing with players because it's really funny to do. I did a... Um, sorry. Go on. It definitely is needed. Well, I, I did a false hydra campaign. And false hydra? That's the sentence. Okay, so false hydra for those unaware is the probably the most famous homebrew creation that a lot right. of people use so um it's called a false hydra because it grows many heads as it as it consumes more and it doesn't alter reality it alters perception so oh if the the minute you stop hearing it sing you f- um you realize it's there but it, while it's singing you just can't you can't comprehend it. You just don't see it. Or you instantly forget. But anyone who was eaten by the false hydra disappears from memory. So and, this thing
0: can just like go across countryside not even being noticed, just removing people from history? Well,
1: the lore behind it is they tend to sit beneath towns or cities and they just eat people sporadically. And so the way I did that, it was Arnan who was in that uh, one shot, and uh... like they turned up at a tavern, and like the the tavern was run by a really friendly couple, and you could see they were all lovey dovey with each other and all that. And then they went upstairs and they came back downstairs, and the husband's not there. So Arnan asked, "Oh, is um is your husband out getting supplies?" And the the like the Wife or the barmaid goes, "What husband? I've never been married." And it's sort of like it sort of messes with that. It's so my favorite way to do tricky. DM, Really, false hydras are so much fun to use, but if you use them once, your party will never trust you again.
0: <laughs> no, that sounds like a that sounds like a rabbit hole that must be explored and solved, or else
1: yeah, um, to lose your mind. That was arguably, I say. It's it is a false hydra story, so most a lot of them do play out similarly, but that was the one that was debatably my most successful one because before I got a chance to stream it, some people asked me if they could use it. So if they could do it, and I'm like, Yeah, sure. So I sent them my notes over. They did a stream of it and it was they wanted to get their friends back into D and D and it worked and they play sessions now, so I was like, eh, I did a good job on that front. B. D. i I got a chance to see it happening so, I think, well, that didn't work. <laughs> that didn't work this, so I'll change that yeah. a little bit about mine. Yeah. No, yeah.
0: it's always nice to have somebody else play test your things. You get to see how they would take it on and break it.
1: Yeah, because you get to see what, how different players will break games because every player tries to break the game. I try not to, but then I sort of think, well, how about I just keep on poking this dragon with a stick and see what happens? Yeah, that's more
0: me. I just keep giving my players things and stuff and adventures, and I'm like, all right, what can you take on now? What kind of adventure do you think you can handle? Um, But let's get into villains. Villains are some of my favorite, favorite things. Uh, since I've pretty well just been doing D&D for the last year, I've been told by friends that I've become more sinister. Like, in my <laughs> characters. My characters have become more sinister and evil, not myself. Um, and I think it's just because I'm playing so many villains.
1: Um, yeah. Very much well, this, this requires a little bit of backstory of me. So when I, I studied literature at uh, college, which would be high school for those across the pond. Mm-hmm. So I was, I started a little bit later, so I was 17. Uh, going on 18, and I studied gothic horror for two years under a literature teacher. So I learned about because gothic horror is different to modern horror, gothic horror is uh religion, fear of the unknown, uh, <laughs> general xenophobia, um, but that kind of thing. So it's all Frankenstein, uh, Dracula, uh, Hound of the Baskervilles, that's all gothic horror.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I learned about Byronic heroes and Byronic villains, like anti-heroes and anti-villains. And so I I pretty much spent a good chunk of education learning about how villains work mm-hmm. in context of whatever and antagonists. Then I watched Hunter Hunter, which is my hands down my favorite anime and one of my favourite pieces of fiction. Where the villains are some of the best written characters in fiction, in my opinion. And they are so clever, they are so insightful, they're thoughtful, they are entertaining. Mm-hmm. And then you think, well, that's what villains have to be. And my, I did a stream a few weeks ago um, called How to Build a Villain. Ooh. And I broke down the different kinds of villains. So you have people like the the, the Beast and the Machine, the ones who are thoughtless. They are just following their instinct or their orders. Um, You have people like the Holy Warrior, like uh, Thanos from Avengers, as an example. Uh, What was the other ones? (laughs) Damn. Uh, Okay, so you have the embodiment of evil, which is uh, people like uh, Voldemort or Sauron you have the anti-villains, or the Byronic villains, which are people like Draco Malfoy, yeah, or Loki, and the... Oh, this is looking really embarrassing. <laughs> but, yeah, that if you get the gist of what I'm saying, there's loads of yep. different kinds of villains, and they all fit different things, and you can implement them in D&D in different ways. Because some you can just treat as a map hazard, some you can treat as like true evil, wanting to do things, and some you can think sympathetic ones, because mm-hmm. the sympathetic villains are the interesting ones, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah. And a compliment I actually got today from one of my friends who's a DM. They said to me that they enjoyed watching my streams, and they always try to when they get connections because they, they live in Kenya, so their connections always a little bit dodgy. And they said they saw the villain stream like after it went up and they took influence and advice from the villain stream and used it in their campaign and that was like the greatest compliment i've ever had yeah that i've helped someone like with their villain stuff and i was so proud of that i was so happy that i'd actually managed to help someone with just the fact that i knew what villains did and i knew how villains worked and how they should be done uh
0: yeah that's part of about teaching as a dm it's like when when you're able to be a storyteller and people get inspiration from your stories it's like okay sick yeah (laughs) like we spend so much time getting inspiration for our stories and we like idolize these stories that we bring into our own stories so when people take our stories and turn them into their own stories it's like it's like we're becoming what we're idealizing
1: it's it's a weird feeling i honestly think Uh, yeah. yeah Uh, it's that it's that kind of vibe where you think you're actually being a positive force in the community for whatever reason. And I, I think there's no shame in me saying that when I switched to D and D as my as my thing of choice to stream, yeah, like D and D content, yeah. I found the most wholesome, supportive, and engaging community. D and D, man, we all just want
0: to play a game at the end of the day, like. I think if you look at D&D from the outside, you might see the memes and, like, the the horror stories because every regular player loves the terrible memes, like, the <laughs> bagging on the bards and the DMs and this everyone. Like, we just like bagging on each other. It's, it's fun for us. Um, but we also love reading those horror stories and seeing those very bad, like, oh, it, w- it went terrible. There was a fight at the table. Like, I love those stories. Um, but... The, the Crit crab reddit stories i yeah, love myself <laughs> some crick crab shout out crabbies um, um but uh w- at the end we're just all wanting to play a fun game so it's it's, it's really a, a very easy community to get along with like we
1: yeah
0: some of us are opinionated but at the end of the day we all we all thankfully bend down to one dm at the table so it doesn't particularly matter about arguments but it's really? not like we all are equal at the table
1: well mm, that's a statement
0: True, it's true, mm. it's true but I shouldn't of, say it.
1: Well, one of my favorite things to do is like when, I, whilst I'm actually working on my own stuff, um, I always like try and put someone on Twitch, and sometimes it's like people who I already follow, mm. and sometimes it's someone I haven't followed, and everyone has the same reaction, especially if the DMs and world building. I say, "Tell me about your world," and you can see their eyes light up. And that's such a cool reaction to see because people get excited about talking about the world they're building, and even even if like they're just making a few tweaks to something like Curse of Strahd, yep. or what, or Tales from Waterdeep, or anything like that, it's it's so so nice to see that people get so excited about telling their own stories. That's probably why I like D and D a lot because some people may know, um, who are listening that I tried to be out and out a writer, like as an author. And I wanted to write this big huge epic, you know, like uh like, you know the the Star Wars or the Harry Potter's or the Lord of the Rings kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was really good at the outlying plots. I was like, I write the big framework of the narrative, you know, start, finish. I always start at the villains because they're the driving force. Yeah. And then I thought right now I've got this bit, this bit, this bit, I've got the key events. It's the stuff in between I always struggled with because everything I tried writing sounded so asinine and sounded so rough when I was trying to write it. But it came down to generally me finding favour in D&D because I could write the story but the players filled in all the bits because it was interactive. It's interactive storytelling, that's what D&D is. And you can probably hear the smile in my voice that I'm talking about this. Uh, I find that when you got players who love the, love the game in general outside of your story and they're engaged and they want to participate and they want to find out more, they fill in the blanks that you yourself might not have been able to. And it just makes it so much more fun to be a part of this. It's, it's a lovely world to be a part of. And I'm, I'm upset that I didn't get into it sooner. Because honestly, right, I've only been a DM since October last year. That's when I first started. I started with a Halloween one-shot, and it was campy horror, because of course it was, right? Yeah. And then just after that, I fell in love with being a DM. Mm -hmm. Started my campaign. And then I did the first New Year's Eve Twitch one-shot I did. And that sort of Mm kick-started me doing it. And Mm -hmm. I just fell in love, and I'm a willing forever DM. I was going to say, yeah, no, I'm the same way. Willing forever DMs. I was gonna say
0: you uh, definitely already sounded like you had everything that you needed to be in dungeon master. You you had the outline of the world, you had your villains, and now and as long as you get like a few good protagonists and they just decide to do whatever, it's gonna be a good story. If you have that world and that those villains fleshed out, it's like sounds like you were already doing a lot of the hard work of
1: a DM early on. I'd like to think so. I mean, I only started playing in 5th edition, so, like, I think I started playing D&D in 2015, Mm -hmm. and it was all in Roll20, because uh, when I went to university, and all my friends were back up where I lived in the north, Mm -hmm. and I moved all the way down to the south. So, when I was in university, that's when I started playing D&D. Yeah. And then I like I uh, left that campaign, uh, joined another one that uh, fell apart because of some of the members. I joined about two more at the same time. <laughs> then uh, I started I, I will openly admit, I burnt out on D& D for a bit. I was writing my own stuff. I was streaming stuff, and I was in two campaigns and running my own campaign as well. And it was just I just burnt out, and I thought, right, I need a bit of time. So, I shut it out, focused on my streaming, fell in love with it again, and now I'm running my own campaign, which is um, a DM Dave Sachs mod for 5th Dead Rules. Hey! For, for like, uh, zombies. Like a modern-day zombie story, so it's just Walking Dead, but d and D. I I like that. No,
0: I'm glad that you got into the community and got in well. I find some people can have just one table bad introduction and they they get scared of the community so i'm glad that you dove right in and were able to have fun i do want to get into your villains and how you create them because it sounds like you definitely love them and definitely have a knack for creating them
1: i love villains so much they are so fun to make because i i like the deep thought provoking villains so you know that where they've got an ideology and where you can see the reasoning behind it, but you also see that it's flawed and you think they can do it better. And you think these, are, these people are just searching for an identity in a world that's forgotten them, or they've been neglected and they've taken revenge, and you think that's, it's in-depth. But also, I love the cartish... Tar, car, bleh, get me teeth in. Cartoonishly evil villains. The moustache twiddlies. You know, the, yeah. the, dick, the dick dastardlies. Or the Mister Wilfords from Snowpiercer, the the ones who are just over the top evil, and it's fun because it's it's just fun to watch. Yeah, and finding that balance in D and D is difficult because you want to see things as a credible threat. Yeah, but you also want. <laughs> it depends on the DM, obviously, but like you also want them to if you want them to be thought provoking you have to put a lot into the methodology. Yeah. If you want them to be evil, you have to just make them, you know, kick every puppy they see on the way to work. Like that you need to find a balance in that, I think. Yeah. And so the villains I've got for my upcoming campaign are called the Thirteen Evils. And and they are all just just horrible figures throughout my world's history that have done horrible things, and after an event which i'm not going to reveal because it'll be a spoiler um they are freed back into the world and wreak havoc and I'm borrowing from different mythologies and I'm borrowing from like particularly i'm borrowing for one Sect of them because I decided to put some make some affiliated with each other. Uh, I'm borrowing a lot from Arabic and Middle Eastern mythology, Ooh. and some of them I'm borrowing from modern creepypasta, <laughs> and some I'm borrowing from one of my old DMs who did a very interesting idea, but I've changed it a little bit. And Have you ever seen the SCCP uh, anomalies? Yeah. Uh, I spent so most great. of my I spent a good chunk of my day watching them. Mm-hmm. One of them, is, I'm I'm not gonna lie. One of them is just out and out the shy guy, right? <laughs> you know, the the one who covers his face. Yeah. One of them is out and out with him. Slightly different, but um, mixture so of I have him a question, and ben. then sure, go for it. When you're
0: making your uh, if if you were teaching someone to make a villain, or if you were gonna make a villain yourself, um, what would be like a checklist of like things that you think
1: every villain should have? Okay, so first and foremost, the villain needs motivation. Yeah, because in narratives, as much as the protagonist is important, the villain is the driving force that makes the protagonist do something. And you can, I start with the villain to build the world around. Mm-hmm. And you can do with the duality thing. You can start both protagonist and villain at the same time, make one the opposite of each other. But regardless the villain needs motivation. Uh, They need a credible threat. They need some form of power. Now, whether that is they can punch through a steel door, they can kill you looking at you funny, or they are politically powerful. They have a lot of influence. And so that kind of thing is like, you need to establish them as a credible threat. Yeah. they are the only two major things that they need. Yeah. And if you can give them a personality, then that is all the more more interesting. Because
0: to be honest, with with that, with just those two, like you can you can pretty well start a good baseline for any villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, motivation wants cheeseburgers. Uh, president of Ukraine. <clears throat>
1: I mean, yeah, sure. Let's go with that. See, there's a bill. No, no disrespect to no, any yeah, Ukrainians. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If, <laughs> that's
0: not the president of Ukraine. I hope he's doing well. Or she. <laughs>
1: yeah, it depends on his motivations. Um, Jeez. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know who the president of Ukraine is. I got no idea, man. I'm probably going to um, Google it afterwards out of curiosity. <laughs>
0: I'm just going to send him an email formally apologizing.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, Those are the two things you need for a villain, certainly, mm-hmm. first. First and foremost, you need those two things. And you can, at, you can look at the real world and find out what people's motivations are. You can take influence from literature or movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I draw a lot of influence from the law of League of Legends, because it's a game I, I've played for a long time, and I've invested in the law. I i draw from the internet, the horror stories that I've listened to, or the movies that I watch. But then you think, the motivation, it could just be something as simple as, they're surviving. They are not inherently evil things. They just need to survive. The shark from Jaws, right, wasn't evil. It was just surviving, because shark need food to survive. People look like food. Munch, right? And um, then you've got, it could be as complex and thought provoking as Thanos, who wants, just, just wants the population of the universe to survive. And he goes about it the wrong way, obviously, but that's his goal. He, he thinks he's on, he's on a quest. I'm going to be this holy savior of the world. But then it could just be simple as, I just don't like anyone and I want to mess everyone's day up. Which yeah. it, it's pretty much that's what the Joker is in Dark Knight. The force of nature. They are just chaos incarnate, that's all they do. Like, you know, God has let me live a little day and I'm about to make it everybody's problem. That's that that's I love what that it quote. Is. <laughs> then whether the power is their brain, their brawn, or their you know, their blagging ability. Yeah. Um that's yeah, the only two things you really need for a villain. Yeah, if you have a, if they have a good look as well, if they look cool or they look a little bit menacing, that's also really helpful. You know, good looking villain if, really does help. Well, the thing is, if if you want to build a world that some people might pay attention to, you know, you want them to look good when they do a cosplay, right? <laughs> that is also very true. That's also very true. Yeah. What um, are
0: are there any like problems that you run into when you're creating your your villains that you find difficult to overcome
1: the trickiest thing is to not make them one knot. and one pardon me one knot. so if they only have one facet to them then they can they can come across boring so yeah it, it only applies to some villains obviously if you just do it if you're doing like a, a shark for example it doesn't need to have more than one But I like to go for the the anti-villains or the holy warriors or, to an extent, the embodiment of evil. And it's like, they have to go, they have to have a little bit more to them than just, I am bad guy. Yeah, every humanoid villain, definitely. Yeah, like, if you've got, um, like, constructs that are villains where they just follow orders, or, um, like, say, animals that want to eat things, then... That's all they need to do. They yeah. need to be a threat because, well, you know, well, Parasite the Maxim says it really well, where it says, well, they, we as what you see as monstrous parasites have a, just as much right to exist as humans do. We are also natural beings. So why are we being punished for existing? It's like because you're a threat to everyone else. And it's like, well, that's not really fair. I've just went down a rabbit hole of morality here, and then... Oh, anyway. I like it. I'm always Having down said, for... If you heard that, I apologise. Someone decided to beep the horn outside my house. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, if you can make villains do questionable morality things, then that's also interesting, but... I like trying to make my characters and my players dive into the mythos behind the villains. Because if you... You can give any villain a backstory, and it doesn't have to be a tragic backstory. Like I don't know, the, in Dark Knight, Joker's were that his dad was abusive. It doesn't have to be tragic. It could just be that uh, I just don't like anyone. I was yeah. treat I I just don't like anyone. I wasn't even treated badly. I had a nice upbringing. I just don't like people.
0: Oh yeah, there are tons of stories of good people. Going like with good upbringings, going bad and, and going into the squalors of life, just because you know, they idolized it, they thought it was a good thing, and then they realized,
1: oh fuck. Yeah, it's not. It's it, this is not the right way to go about it. But uh, when you when you in villains as well, if they have a tangential relation to the world, the Crystal Kingdom, the the one, the villain was called Oriad. And she was an evil druid. And she's the one in ancient times who guided the gnomes to the land of the giants, which obviously set the world up later. If they have a relation to how it all transpires, it's also very, very clever. And it makes you feel smart because you think, ah, it's a bit more deep than just gnome turn up, kill giant. (laughs) I've made it... The hardest part, I'm being honest, integrating them into the world. They need to have some tie to the world because, yep. as much as like cosmic entities are big, threatening, and they, like obviously, they cause a lot of problems. If they're not done right, if they have no ties to the world, they have no purpose to being there. Then they're just not effective. Just they're scary. Don't get me wrong, but like they're just not compelling villains. I think that's yep. the hardest part, actually, tying them to the world and make them interesting.
0: Do you have any tips for how you would go about tying your villains, or, to yeah, tying them to your world?
1: Okay, so I mentioned with how I did with Oriad, where she was the one who led the gnomes to the land which became the Crystal Kingdom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I'm not delving too much into spoiler territory, because this is general mythos of my current world that I'm building, and I'm going to be talking about the culture of it. <laughs> on my stream soon as well um, so in my world there's a desert which is at the edge of the country and the, where And that's an ancient city that was quite powerful and it got a leader called Dominus and now he was undefeated in battle and he wanted to prove to his people that he was the best thing ever so he challenged the god of the desert to a fight with some of his loyal subjects who were uh, who were also you know like quite powerful in their own respect. Yep. And he got defeated because of course he did. He's fighting a god of and, the desert in the desert. And you know he got corrupted by the god. He was cursed. And him and the lead- and the other leaders of the like the military force. Got corrupted and turned into the third like some of the 13 evils so i've tied him to the world by like saying this is what he did in the past and the catalyst for the city rising out of the sands again is him being released with the other evils so if you can tie that's how i tied him into the world
0: yeah so you're kind of finding like you're, you when you're you have your campaign or your ideal uh, set of events set up, and you kind of take one of those like later events and tie it into the background of the villain to kind of both connect them to the story and to the world.
1: Yeah, uh, obviously, it doesn't have to be as needlessly complex as mine is going to be, right? Yeah, but it's just simple things that tie into the world. I would I, honestly, if you if you want to do that, add a little bit of backstory to your world. When you're building your world, don't just say this is how it is. Mm-hmm. If you add a little bit of to it, why it's the way it is. So, X civilization doesn't trust X race because X war. You know, mm-hmm. um, and you create a villain from that. You create a perceived villain from that mm-hmm. and then because both sides are going to think they're in the right because you know everyone's the hero in their minds so or everyone's the hero of their own story exactly like you know if you can create well if you can create a villain where they just think they're just you know they're doing the right thing Yeah. Uh Dominus's character flaw was that he's arrogant and he wants to prove that he's the strongest in the world and he wants to rule the world because that's just it's a common villain troll but it's a if you could do it effectively it it makes it a little bit more flavorful
0: yeah
1: yeah he just wants to prove himself that he is strong i
0: like that a lot well sadly i i could see we get us talking all night long but it has reached the end of dungeon master discussions today and ben i really want to thank you for coming on a lot thank of good for... things about villains and horror. I'm uh, excited to watch it back. I... Thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming uh, as well. Uh, is there anything out about in the realm of the internet or the world that you would like uh, the viewers to know
1: about? Okay, so if you would like to take a trip to my Twitch channel, the Bandit King UK.
0: Shout out Bandit King UK. Uh,
1: I talk a lot about horror. I make a lot of monsters. I talk about the world I'm building. And particularly, this world is going to go on YouTube, because it's going to be a YouTube campaign. It's going to be a big show. It's scaring me to do that. Uh, I write for Commie Gamer. Mm-hmm. And that's the website that I started writing for recently, and that's who I'm doing the YouTube show through with. Uh, I've just uh, guested on the podcast talking about horror video games. And I, our podcast of horror itself which is going to be exclusively horror with me and my colleague Holly uh, it's going to be called The Red Scares and we're just going to talk about different horror topics so if you could check us out uh, Gamer on it's com. there's a website commie Gamer on YouTube uh, I think it's gamer commie on Twitter and just check us all out we have articles on different gaming news and retrospectives and other things that we th- think about. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, and also please feel free to stop by and chat. I'm more than happy to answer questions about D&D if I can if I can help.
0: And being a writer and especially with, it uh, sounds like you have a lot of uh, reference to go off of. Um, but yeah. Thank you everyone for joining us for Dungeon Master Discussions. We'll be back next Friday. 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Essentially an hour from whatever time it is now where you are. Um, uh, as well, exciting news. I will be back on Nerd Northerners on Wednesday, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. So join me there for a Community Day show. I'm not sure what I'm going to be playing yet, but uh, join me in the Discord to uh, let me know what you guys want to play, and I'll join you. But uh, thank you guys all for joining me. And until next time, I've been Zach the DM, and uh, take care.